Of course, it's great if you can get a blurb for your book cover or you can use it for marketing materials, but the bottom line is it's going into the system. The system is where libraries and bookstores shop for books. So if you don't get into that system, your chances of, of getting picked up are negligible. That's Victoria Sutherland of Forward Reviews magazine. Forward is one of the go-to review media for libraries and booksellers, and what makes it unique is that it focuses exclusively on independent presses. We're going to be talking about reviews, of course, but also about the status of author publishers and the important topic of improving diversity in publishing. And did I mention that Victoria has just started a new term as a member of the IBPA Board of Directors? But first, let me welcome you to Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA. I'm an independent publisher and your host, Peter Goodman of Stonebridge Press. This podcast is brought to you by IBPA, the Independent Book Publishers Association, which you can reach at ibpa-online.org. IBPA's mission is to help you become a better publisher through advocacy, education, and tools for success. If you're not a member, consider joining and becoming part of the IBPA family. And now let's get started. So, as I mentioned, I'm talking today with Victoria Sutherland. Uh, she uh, co-founded Forward Reviews Magazine 22 years ago, and Forward is probably the uh, premier uh, review medium for uh, books published by indie presses, uh, very popular among librarians. Uh, so, welcome, Victoria. Thanks a lot for uh, making time today. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. From your perspective, you, uh, as a reviewer, you see all sorts of different publishers, and you're kind of working both ends, both uh, the media that the books go out to and the publishers that the books are coming from. So, your perspective is really valuable. But before I get to any of that, just in uh, terms of COVID and the pandemic, how are you guys holding up? We're actually doing fairly well. Um you know, it helped that we were lucky enough to get a PPP. Uh, I was hoping not to have to lay anybody off, um, and that that was a nice life insurance policy that way. So um, nobody really wanted to uh, do anything differently, like get laid off. Um, so we're we're a happy happy crew right now. I've been, you know, we were a little bit concerned in March and April when. Uh, the pandemic first started because the whole industry sort of froze and nobody knew what was going to happen, um, what we should do. I I took part in a lot of the COVID uh, workshops and roundtables that uh, people were having online, including IBPA, and they were so educational and so comforting to everybody who took part in those. I think that they were um, incredibly helpful getting people a map to to, you know, out of a tunnel that seemed very dark at one time, but the supply chains were, were changed a lot, but books were still selling. And so, um, I see publishers of all sizes changing, um, that way, you know, how they're getting books to consume the consumer market. Um, our, our dilemma was that we were, uh, our readership is primarily bookstores and, and librarians. <clears throat> so besides people, who support us with advertising, basically closing their wallets up. Um, we were having difficulty getting the magazine into the hands of the people who uh, need us. And uh, we pivoted as well and came out with a digital, you know, it's been something on the back burner that we had wanted to do for a long time, but very quickly we came up with a um, digital magazine that we could get into our readers' hands. 
as an option until they got the print version. And so uh, you, you folks are all working at home? We are. You know, we've, we've been... We have a small office space. I encourage people to work at home. I've been traveling, you know, when I, when I go to foreign rights shows in Frankfurt and Beijing and uh, Bologna, I try to stay for a month or two later because I have Italian citizenship and we like to hang out there. So our staff is pretty used to working remotely. The editorial team who chooses the books, however, were not used to working remotely and that. That proved to be a little bit of an obstacle as well. However, we've changed our uh, requirements for submissions, and we do take PDF copies, electronic copies of the... Oh, had had you only been uh, getting physical copies before? No. I mean, we'd like to get the physical copies because our reviewers, as part of their payment, get the the copy of the book at some point after it's published. And so that was a nice option for us to reward them with and with that we can still get them the hard copy of the book after it's, it's published but um i don't know they just want to touch and see the book uh, the <laughs> right. review, they, right. i don't know what's the matter with them <laughs> so right. that's, you know they still want to do that i i hate to say that we're only taking pdf copies but you know when people aren't in their own offices and don't have access to to arcs and and um it's it's hard to send them to us, and so of course we immediately had to take start taking uh, PDFs. Yeah, I, I know stuff comes in the mail, and then you feel like you have to sit and let it cool off for a couple of days before you you dare touch it and open it. And, yeah, uh, we were all thinking that this was going to be over or heading uh, toward being over sometime around now, but it it just seems uh, we're we're talking here in mid July, and it doesn't seem like things are getting much better. Uh, California's gone backwards. I'm not sure how Michigan is, but right now Florida's in the midst of a, a terrible pandemic. So I guess we're all prepared for this to last a lot longer than we were prepared for. And I'm wondering, uh, from your perspective, how do you see uh, it changing publishing overall, if at all? Oh, it's definitely going to change publishing. I mean, what authors used to do to help market their books with their publishers' support at book tours and um, you know the, the whole marketing paradigm has to be changed. So what I have been seeing successful people doing is having FaceTime and social media meetings. Um, you you know we don't have trade shows basically. I mean I, I keep thinking that maybe 2020 was just a wash, but I'm not hearing any word about 2021 yet, and that really worries me because. Trade shows are so important to introduce the book to librarians and foreign rights um, international agents that without those, we're going to, you know, we have to figure out a new system for that. I, I've, I've, and you would normally be making plans for 2021 around now? Uh, 2021, right. Yep. We're, in fact, I was just looking at my prospect list for the Bologna Book Fair, and I usually at the beginning of August, I'm sending notices out to remind them about their reservations do and i just don't know if that i don't know if that's going to happen yet right you know frankfurt frankfurt has decided to to do something mostly digital for for the international market because we can't even get into europe well um, do you think that can work uh, internationally do you think these trade shows can be i mean obviously there's no substitution for human contact and the kind of serendipity that happens in the course of normal conversation. But in the absence of that, do you think that there's a way of making up for, for much of what was lost and perhaps even adding some new features that 
uh, weren't available with the physical trade shows. You know, going all digital does provide a lot of other opportunities, including the opportunity for people to uh, attend who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to go. Well, that's exactly the point. I mean, and hopefully the digital catalogs that the fairs are putting out become much more instrumental in the process of, of business deals. Um, we all are going to miss the face-to-face content, but if that isn't an option anymore, what was sort of a luxury with these catalogs is now going to be, a, you know, pretty pro, you know, pretty typical or standard for, for getting work done. Um, you know, you ha- you know, uh, we're hoping that people move their, if they're not spending money on trade shows, they're, they're moving those dollars to marketing, um, and trade publications and other ways to reach the, the foreign agents and libraries and bookstores that, for instance, we reach in Publishers Weekly and Library Journal. So it's a, there's a way to survive. Now, they're all having virtual events and sessions, and one of the most successful ones I've taken part in this spring was the AUP virtual event, which is the American Associ- Association of University Presses, and they just did a magnificent job um, after they canceled their physical presence in Seattle and they rebooked the dates for two weeks of afternoon sessions, the process to get online. It wasn't a zoom meeting. It was another, another company that, um, you know, every session had four or 500 people in it, which, and they were brilliant. Um, and so for the learning and for the meeting parts of these virtual trade shows, I think that's really going to, I think that's going to be an easier transition, but introducing books and, and being in the front of a stage at a, at a, you know, session at the American Library Association with your front list titles is, I don't know how, I don't have the answer to how those, that kind of situation yeah. is going well, to I happen. I can see what but. you're saying about being, being able to have a, a big community event lecture or, you know, introducing authors, say, to a, to a large group of people, but that kind of more intimate one-to-one contact where you're, sussing out what that person's particular interests are and then directing their attention in, in ways you can only do in a one-to-one conversation. Uh, is there anyone that you see who's come up with a model uh, to to do that where you can, like, you know, make individual Zoom appointments online pretty much the way you would do at Frankfurt, 15 minutes here, 15 right. minutes there? Anyone doing that? I really ha- I haven't, and it's a great idea. Let's do it. <laughs> because... <laughs> The person who figures it out, you know, is really going to benefit from from that. But, oh, gosh, I mean, this is what our business is all about, right? The the meetings and the face-to-face and the um, keep sharing the excitement and enthusiasm of particular books and authors. And that's what I'm, that's what I just, that's what I worry about the most. So I don't see it, the pandemic ending soon. Michigan it doesn't matter where you are, you know, it's around the world. Everybody's having back going backwards, um, having to shut down again. And it's, this isn't just a U.S. thing. It's a global situation. And we've, we've, it, it may be another year or so before we can think about meeting in person, I guess, or, you know, doing what the sales reps do for bookstores, which is travel, getting in their car, traveling and, and, uh, uh, meeting, meeting people maybe you can do uh, curbside sales presentations where people come out and <laughs> you know sit at distances from each other and pitch books well let's talk about uh, reviews a little bit because that's uh, really what forward reviews is all about um what is I, I guess the question you know if you're a small indie press 
Oh, and and I meant to ask you about uh, what how you define an indie press and and who is eligible review. If you're an author publisher, can you still submit your book for review in forward reviews, or do you have to be affiliated with a a, a quote unquote public or more traditional publisher? No, we do um, accept books from author publishers, and part of our challenge because we want to make sure that we're representing a good cross-section of the indie press um, community is we choose books from author publishers all the way up to university presses like Oxford and and Cambridge who are doing three or four hundred a year. So, you know, our readers are depending on us to give them information about the best books that we see. Um, And it's your, the indie author needs to know that, uh, that's what they're competing with, you know, kind almost academic books from the university presses, uh, as well as the more established presses who are doing, you know, um, up to a hundred books a year. But we we try to, you know, be balanced about um, who gets what kind of coverage, and we are always, you know, part of our mission has always been to give some uh, some coverage to the uh, author publisher who who when we first started for a magazine wasn't getting any coverage and neither were the the more established indie presses you know the larger the big five are who we say we do not cover and all of their imprints the rest are all indie presses you were you were actually the pioneer in offering um, uh, reviews for a fee and uh, I know you got a lot of uh, flack about it which you actually acknowledge on your website I was reading about it but that's you you were sort of trailblazers there uh, you, you led the way and that's become kind of an established part of well PW does it Kirkus does it and uh, you you were at the forefront of that and yeah is that uh, that's that's still ongoing then, because even though you you're perfectly willing to review um, books from say indie publishers who generally don't get much coverage, you can only review a very small percentage of all the books that come in. What how how small percentage is it? Well, I mean I don't know the exact numbers, but we probably get over a thousand books emailed to us and uh, a month and or mailed to us, and we can only choose. 50 or 60 or 125 per issue, which is bi-monthly. And that's, you know, really, it's so, it's heartbreaking. And that's why we started the FIFA review service when we did is because we understood the value of a review um, for the trade, especially librarians typically won't buy a book uh, unless there is a review attached to it. And they shop for books at their wholesale databases, Bowker, Baker and Taylor, Ingram, Ebsco, and such. And the, the, if you don't have a review, subscri- you know, our reviews are licensed to those wholesalers. And so, for instance, if a patron walks into the um, Seattle Library and asks for martial arts title, the librarian will typically go to their database and look up the category, and the books that rise to the top are the ones that are reviewed, and that's what they're going to choose from. So when we first started, nobody was reviewing independent presses, and they were really hot for our reviews because it opened up a whole new segment of shopping opportunities, quote-unquote, for librarians. And all of the trade magazines licensed their reviews to the, to these wholesale accounts. And that's what is so important. I mean, the value of these fee-for-review services, you know, of course, it's great if you can get a blurb for your book cover or you can use it for marketing materials, but the bottom line is it's going into the system 
and that's where the, the system is where librarians and bookstores shop for books. And so if you don't get into that system, your chances of, of getting picked up are negligible. And there, there are so many book options available that uh, librarians and other buyers need some way to distinguish between them. And sometimes that's the review, right? They all look the same on exactly. the surface, but one's got a, a great review and the other one doesn't have any reviews at all. Right, right. You know, I understand why people were mortified. Oh, my God, how can you, you know, you're going to be giving a great review to everybody who pays you. Well, of course, why would we ever jeopardize the good name? forward had built up over the first couple of years um, to, in order to do that. We, it, was, it just wasn't sustainable. So we just stepped back and waited for the reviews to speak for themselves. I mean, there, we, you don't automatically get a good review. It's a critique. Uh, and we're hoping that people who will sign up for the fee for review services are doing it in advance so there's a chance to make changes if they need to. If there's a recommended plot, you know, improvement or grammatical mistakes all over the place is an opportunity for them to change the book before it gets into readers' hands and, and the review system. And can they, can they choose to uh, not have the review uh, propagated if they, if they wish? Yes, they can. They, there's an, you know, there's an option that says, if you want us to publish the, if you want us to kill this review, let us know within two weeks. But I don't recommend it. I mean, even if it's a, if we don't very, really get very many one or two star reviews, but even if, if you, especially if you have an, a book uh, subject matter that is not very common, it's a way for, you know, people can pick, if it's valuable in any way, it, it should go into the system, even if it was a one or two star. <laughs> right. Now, um, I want to ask you um, uh, uh, something else about um, author publishers, what I guess used to be called self-publishers. Um, do you feel that there's still a, uh, a stigma uh, now, not not in forward reviews, of course, but um, authors are sending their books out to many other different media. Uh, do you feel that that stigma still exists? Is it is it changing at all? I, I think that it still exists, but not to the extent it was when we first started 20 or 22 years ago. I think author publishers are getting savvy because of organizations like Independent Book Publishers Association, et cetera, about meeting the quality standards. If you, if you have a cover that your granddaughter drew or your, um, your copyright page is badly formatted or, you know, the layout is bad, there's just no, ex there's, there's no excuse for that anymore. There's so many tools available. And so if there is a stigma, it's because there is a small minority of people, self-published authors or other publishers who are not following the rules and not spending their time on the front end to, to make it market worthy. And I, and I wonder whether this, um, the pandemic forcing everyone to, to be inside is actually going to create a lot more um, author-published books because people have these projects that they've been meaning to get around to, but maybe never had the opportunity to. There's probably going to be a lot of uh, new stuff coming down the pike. But also um, the ability now that, that has cropped up for authors to reach their community directly through Zoom meetings to maybe partner with a bookseller, but maybe not necessarily have to go through all distribution, mm -hmm. um, to, to jump through all the different hoops that they, that they had to. I wonder if there's a... a going to be a real surge in uh, author publishers where mainstream authors are kind of saying, well, what do I need this publisher for taking all this uh, revenue away from me when I'm basically doing all the work and reaching out to 
all the people who want my book in the first place. You see anything like that happening? I'm I'm not that close to the ground. I guess I don't see it. I I imagine it will happen, but I don't see it happening right now. I mean, I, I, there's no denying that a larger, more established pub, indie press can offer value to an author publisher. There's distribution channels. There's marketing opportunities. There's that you just can't do on your own. You have a whole staff with an in, independent publisher who can who can assist. And, you know, I, I guess there, there may be a stigma that I know from my agenting uh, side of things that a lot of foreign rights agents don't want to speak to the author. They want to talk to another rights professional. Right. Um, right. And so there, there may be that, but to your point, of course, there's a lot of great opportunities for authors to assist in the marketing and sales of their book. And, it's this is a very basic one-on-one lesson before you even get started in publishing. What are you willing to do? I mean, if you're just a writer and you've got a book in you and you want to be done after that, maybe you need to think of, rethink about doing this on your own because that's not going to get you anywhere. As you know, you have to. You have to be, once the book is finished is when the work starts. <laughs> right, exactly. And if you're not in a position, if you're not in a position to help or assist or do that, do that hard work, you're not going to be successful. Um, another question I had was, um, how are the libraries holding up? You're you're probably close to a lot of librarians and uh, know a bit about their their budgets and their their buying habits. Um, I had read recently that many librarians have largely i think because they were closed and not even open to the public that they were uh deprioritizing physical books and spending a lot of effort building up their digital libraries do you find that happening and if so is that a good thing or a bad thing well that's what i've heard too i've taken part in a couple of library association meetings particularly the michigan library association and they have they have money to spend this year because they still have budgets that they are, you know, needing to, to be taken care of. But they also know that next year is not going to, because the tax dollars are going to be cut and the funds are not going to be quite uh, there as they were this year, that they have to make some different choices with um, buying. And digital offers them an opportunity, depending on the price point, uh, for buying more books, especially if people can't get to the library to take out books, if there's another closure happening in the country, digital books are going to become more and more important to the library system. Now, you know, they've been not, not as they haven't, I don't think that, I think the digital thing is, it's scary for that, you know, they haven't, they're not used to it. So they're doing a pivot too. How do I get digital books into our library? What is the price point? How can these publishers make it affordable to us to, to get this many copies? I, I heard a library librarian uh, speak at the Pub West event this past February, and she said, I love independent presses, and I can buy a lot more of your books if you offer me good price points, like $1.50 or $2 a copy on your, on your e-books. I'm happy to introduce them to our our patrons, and if that's an opportunity for uh, author publishers, I think to spread spread some love uh, no. with the library market. Do you see uh, digital only as a uh, viable way of moving forward for a lot of indie presses? I'm I think majority digital would be a better uh, opportunity. Not I wouldn't cut myself out of a print. You know, even just having print on demand. 
Right. Is especially now that there's, you know, you can get something delivered to a consumer from Ingram tomorrow or, you know, in a couple of days. Uh, those are not, those are great right. situations for author publishers. I, I think the days of 5,000 copy print runs are totally gone. You know, nobody's doing that anymore. Well, we haven't done that in, in several years, um, which makes the price points difficult because the, I mean, ebooks are, they, 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 I mean, you have development costs, obviously, but you don't have a, a, a unit cost for manufacturers. So you have a lot more flexibility on pricing depending on, upon what the, what the deal is and what the market is. Uh, print, print books, not so much, particularly if you're doing them print on demand, the unit costs tend to go so high. And then the demands for uh, discounts from the wholesalers and from the retailers are such that it becomes difficult sometimes to price them at a point where consumers are willing to, to buy them because consumers are still used to uh, books being cheap. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask one, one, last, one last question. Don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you had three big issues in the indie publishing world that you thought were going to be uh, crucial and need for us to spend a lot of time uh, thinking about, what, what would they be? You are putting me on the spot. <laughs> well, you don't have to. You don't have to do three. <laughs> you can do one or two. Well, we mentioned earlier um, uh, the trade show situation is something that needs to be addressed. Um, I, I I think those that environment is going to change in the coming years, and depending on how much you depended on those for your sales opportunities and meeting librarians and bookstores, that option is is going to wane a bit and we need to have some new ideas. Um, becoming familiar, uh, especially author publishers with social media platforms for marketing your books is really important. Um, again, IBPA had a great session with a specialist who um, basically went step by step through marketing on Amazon and as much, you know, we all prefer that we could sell books through um our local libraries and bookstores right now, Amazon is, is an opportunity and we have to, you know, if you can figure out a way to spend on uh, advertising with them and, and get rid of some inventory to free up some cash flow, you have to be open to those kinds of um, options and get comfortable with them. <laughs> right, right. And lastly, um, you know, I think everybody just, I spoke with a publisher today in, in Canada who is not putting out as many titles as fall as she had once planned. And so I think everybody's get, becoming much more thoughtful and intentional about the books that they publish. Um, it's, it's, you know, if we're, if we're going to stay in business for a long time and sustain ourselves, we just have to be um, thoughtful about how many and how much and, and what kind of marketing you can do to back it up. I don't think there's going to be any gravy books quote-unquote um season to season for people anymore it's just too there's there isn't there's too much unknowingness too much un, unknown that, that's a good point I, the uh what was the word you used in intentionality was it did i hear that right being intentional yeah, yeah being being you know publishing with intent well uh, that sort of leads into um i i guess a, a kind of a final topic diversity in publishing there was just a big article in the new york times yesterday which of course, focused uh, almost exclusively on what's happening in the New York publishing world with uh, the unfortunate deaths of a number of people at the top of the food chain and then being replaced by uh, 
people of color who um, were outside the book industry, uh, and they made the point that um, there were not enough uh, people at lower levels who had been brought in because the you know, because the industry was basically so undiverse to begin with that they actually had to go out to find the the people that they they wanted to use to to uh, make the publishing industry more diverse, more reflective of, of readers. And I guess that opens up a whole new audience. You're talking about intentionality uh, in a sense of looking at who who is an audience for your book. It's not the same old, same old people, but being able to reach people uh, online and reach communities outside of the normal bookstores in the, say, affluent suburban areas really does open you up to a much, much uh, more diverse audience, people with different needs, different reading habits. Well, Peter, I see this as a, you know, at least a two-pronged problem that we have uh, with diversity in, in the publishing industry. Number one, of course, and we see this on the review side, we are getting requests from librarians all the time for books that are representative of their patrons, people of color, people of urban areas, people of, and we can't, they're of GLB, LGBT, and we can't, there aren't enough being published. So that is definitely a problem. Is it because there aren't enough uh, BIPOC in the industry? Certainly there is. And then we get to the next part of the problem is, well, why, why is it there? Well, we're not paying them uh, as interns. And, um, you know, most people come from, in the intern positions, come from affluent families and they don't necessarily need the money. This is a nice career to grow into. And, and most people of color can't afford that sort of situation. Um, so we don't have a pool to pick from. I'm, another option, you know, problem is I'm in Traverse City, Michigan, and I'm trying to find uh, people of color to bring into our uh, staff, but I don't know where to find them. And how do you how do you do that? Say, you know, hey, I'm looking for. No, you want to. You want to find somebody who's qualified to help you out, but there's also not a big pool to choose from. So we're spending a lot of time finding resources to, you know, where those people are hanging out and um, getting, bringing them into uh, the community. But um, there, there's, I understand why they had to go outside, uh, but there's a lot of people of color in the industry who, uh, lastly and thirdly, a big part of this problem, who are here and are not being heard or not being listened to or, you know, or a checkbox on somebody's uh, list of, oh, great, we hired a, a person of color. That's not the answer. You know, we need to, we need to embrace them into our community and, and, and have them be, you know, contributing uh, to all assets from business to the books that we publish and hiring, et cetera. So we have a long, we have a very long way to go, um, unfortunately, in publishing. That's we're probably one of the worst uh, people um, with diversity, and I hope to be a part of that change. I'm I've been told by my younger people on staff to you know it's easy for a white woman to say this stuff. We have to we have to be careful about um, bringing the voices of people of color into this uh, the solutions that we build, and so. I'm cautious that way, but um, I'm, I care very deeply about this issue, and I'm really thrilled to be a part of the task force that Independent Book Publishers Association is developing on um, DEI, and I hope that we can make, you know, people give people toolkits and also to 
broaden uh, the membership uh, of IBPA and and uh, with people of color. In forward reviews, you're in a great position to uh, find the presses, uh, people who don't have to go through 20, 30 years slugging it out uh, at New York publishing houses, but they can, you know, get started in a year or two, be up and running and have, have books and uh, and find a new audience. And I guess you're in right. a position where you can help introduce them and, uh, you know, help, yes, them, help them, you know, help everybody be more professional. Uh, like you say, it's a, it's, mm-hmm. you're offering a level playing field to everybody. Correct. Yep, that's true. Thank you, Victoria Sutherland of Forward Reviews. It's been great talking to you again. Thank you. It was an honor to be invited. It was kind of a wide-ranging interview, but that was good. We really covered a lot of ground. And uh, Forward is, is what? It's published bi-monthly, is that right? That is correct. Mm-hmm. I wish you uh, continued prosperity and health, and let's hope all the libraries open up again soon. Thanks, me too. Thanks again to Victoria Sutherland of Forward Reviews Magazine, a new member of the IBPA Board of Directors. You can find out more about Victoria and Forward Reviews and all the information you need on submitting books for review and future events at forwardreviews.com. The magazine also has great interviews and articles, roundups of different publishing genres, and many other items of interest for any publishers of every size. Also, let me hear from you at at Peter Goodman or at IBPA on Twitter. And as always, check out IBPA and all the membership benefits and resources at ibpa-online.org. Thanks again for listening. I'm Peter Goodman, and as my bosses in Japan used to say, let's have publishing fun and stay healthy.